to uh, to have your spirit speak to us and communicate to us, Lord. We thank you for, again, just the gift of your word that we got to learn about yesterday and today, the gift of your son whom you have revealed um, more fully and more intimately, Lord, to teach us, to equip us, to show us what scripture is really all about and how your promises are fulfilled, how your laws and commandments are fulfilled, and how salvation is acquired. Lord, we pray that we would be humble as we meditate on this truth today. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So when I was in Athens, um, good dogs, always. Uh, when, when I was in Athens, I had a buddy who was a Muslim guy. And uh, I got to know him decently over a couple years while I was there. And I remember one time we were having a meal together and he was talking, it was like right before the summer, and he was talking about how excited he was for Ramadan. Um, and he was saying that he's going to go to Mecca, do the whole pilgrimage, all that stuff. And uh, and he was telling me about this and I was just kind of listening, trying to trying to understand his world. And then... I just asked him, I was like, so, like, so what do you think about Jesus? Like, what, who, who do you think Jesus was? And his response was kind of a, a very general, vague response of, you know, well, Jesus was a great guy, like, we like him, um, we think he was a good teacher, he was a prophet, and I was like, so do you think he was anything, anything more than that? And he was like, well, no. Um... And that's just something that I've always... I mean, that, that's... The aura of that conversation is sort of what everything is like nowadays, right? Like, we're going to do this again in just a second um, where we're going to kind of talk about who do, who do people in the capital W world say Jesus is? What do they say about Jesus? Um, what is like the overview of big fancy word Christology in the uh, non-Bible believing world? But it was one of those things, again, where it just made me think, like, oh, yeah, like, not everyone has the same view of Jesus that I have. And then he proceeded to ask me about Jesus. And he was like, well, what do you guys think about Jesus? And what he thought I thought about Jesus, what he thought I believed about Jesus, was not accurate. Um, and, it, again, it just, like, one of those sobering realities. It's like, oh, man, like, I am an outsider in the world's eyes. I am someone who believes something that most of the world does not believe about Christ. Um, So let's go ahead and do this. Uh, Let's talk about what does the world think about Christ. When you talk to your friends, if you ever do that, when you hear about Jesus, when you see people talk about Jesus in social media, in the public sphere, whatever it is, uh, what are some ideas that are floating around about Him? Liar. Liar, okay? Going on C.S. Lewis. I got that quote in my notes too. What else? Alright, let's do this. How, how, how and why do they think he was a liar? Uh, just like... I only had one ever like, argument about it. And it was about like, all the prophecies that he fulfilled. Yeah. It was just like a coincidence that it had to be a liar. Okay. So coincidence... Um, Liar, yeah, for sure. What else? What do people say about Jesus? Kind of maybe some guy that like 
might control everything, but you know, they don't really want to really know who he was and probably don't believe that he was, you know, the savior of the world. Okay. He was God's son. So he's kind of a... Maybe he has control of it. Exaggeration. Okay, exaggeration. Um, how about kind of what you're making me think of is like he's distant, kind of like the the like deism framework of like maybe even if he is God, he doesn't actually really like make a difference in my life today. Like maybe he did this thing where you're talking about a pagan cross. He did this thing a couple thousand years ago. Like I get that, um, but right now he's kind of removed, distant from us. Well, what are some of the good things that people say, but that just aren't quite enough? These are these are more negative things. There's tons of that out there for sure. What about some of the stuff that like people try and like give Jesus kudos, right? Prophet. Just a prophet, okay. Which, by the way, like when people say this, sometimes I'm like. What do you think he was prophesying? Like, if he was a prophet, okay, well, like, what's what's coming next then? Like, they just stopped. They're like, he was just a prophet. And it's like, okay, well, what what was he saying? Anyways, that's just my own little personal aside. Prophet, what else? Oh, I got it. This isn't a good thing. I've heard people say that Jesus Um, this is actually just a, a kind of funny aside. Um, I was doing a, I was speaking at a youth retreat in the spring, and it was for middle schoolers and high schoolers. So a group of middle schoolers came up to me afterwards, and they were like, "Hey, uh, we figure you get this all the time, but you, you know, you kind of look like Jesus." <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah." I said, "You know, people tell me that." And I go, "And here's why." I understand what you're saying, but I think you're wrong. I said, you know Jesus was from the Middle East. And they were like, well, okay, well, what is that? And I was like, it means that like Jesus wasn't a white guy. And they were like, wait, seriously? <laughs> seriously. And, uh, and I was like, yeah, like he was from the Middle East. Like He probably looked a lot more like Saddam Hussein, Osama bin Laden sort of character than, or like, you know, Ibn Saud than he did me. And they were like, I thought Jesus was white. And they were like, well, all the pictures that I've seen of him look just like you. So like, that's just a, a little funny example of just like, people construct Jesus in their own image, right? People construct their own concepts. So, um, I don't really know exactly what to put there, but... Um, yeah. A lot, of, a lot of the people that are like, when I was in college, they might be dating myself, but like, it was like Jesus is just another enlightened person that reached enlightenment. Yeah. Sure. It's like a spiritual, you know, someone that obtains a kind of spiritual high or something. Yeah, how about enlightened guru? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, people like Sermon on the Mount, people think of Jesus like sitting there cross-legged, being like, blessed are the poor, for they will inherit the earth. And like, blessed are the meek, because theirs is the kingdom of God. Yeah, seriously, it is always like a weird, vague, like, what are you? None of it's ever in Aramaic or Greek, so that's a bummer. Um, All right, so, so... 
I said yesterday that we're going to talk about how we have to understand Scripture in light of the Gospel. We have to understand Scripture in light of who Jesus is. And I'm not just making that concept up by myself. Like That is actually in Scripture itself. That's actually something that Jesus said. He tried to explain that to His disciples. I'm going to read this passage for us real quick in Luke 24. This is another one that you guys are probably almost all familiar with. Um, I'm not going to read all 14 verses because that's a lot, but I'll I'll kind of jump around here. Jump, jump, jump up, jump up and get down. Uh, That very day, here it is, verse 13. That very day, two of them, the disciples, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Which, by the way, this just means that they were walking a different direction than Jesus had commanded them to go before His death and resurrection. Uh, And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus Himself drew near and went with them. So He's walking with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing Jesus. And He said to them, What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, they stood still looking sad. Isn't that just like a really funny description of how they responded? Like that's often how I feel. But it says they, they stood still, wow, that's hard to say. Stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And Jesus said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. I'm going to skip down. Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into His glory? This is the big takeaway right here. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. So what's happening right here is Jesus is saying, Look, you guys, like, I understand your are like, you guys do not understand the fact that I have fulfilled all of the things that you have been hearing about, that you grew up in, that you knew was going to happen, and yet you don't recognize me as the Christ. Like, the people that walked with him and were beside him and learned from him did not even recognize that everything he said was going to happen actually happened. That's the way that I feel and react and respond so much of the time. One of the reasons that I love this passage is because uh, Jesus just says, like, dude, like, pay attention. Like, open your eyes. Um, So, why is this such a big deal? Right? Like, the questions today are, like, isn't Jesus just one of many options up the mountain? You guys have all heard the analogy of, like, there's a mountain that you're climbing. It is your life. You're trying to get to the top, which is heaven or morality or whatever it is. And Jesus is just, like, one of the paths. There's a bunch of different paths. You can choose any path you want, and He's just one of them. Like, that is fundamentally not the Jesus that we believe in. One of the reasons that it was so surprising is because this concept of Jesus' Messiahship 
uh, was radically different than what they were expecting of their Christ, their Messiah, their Deliverer. They wanted a political or military ruler who was going to make Israel great again. They wanted someone who, that's a quote from a a guy that I heard preach in Jackson, uh, which, say that in Jackson, bold. I love it. Uh, but like they were looking for someone who was going to come in and destroy the, the current system, destroy the current political power, and say, all right, Israel, you're back on top. Like Let's do this thing. What we're going to look at today in these passages, especially right off the bat, is how Jesus fundamentally revolutionizes the way that we think about who He is. He is not just some political leader. He was not a Galilean revolutionary. Like I heard one of the churches in Charlotte who is just way far gone. Like They literally said like Jesus was all he was was a political Galilean revolutionary. Like That is not who he was. This first passage in Isaiah 53 is going to talk about what's called the suffering servant. Uh, so... I mean, spoiler, it's right there at the top of the world. It's right there at the top of the page. He's the savior of the world. He's the lamb who was slain. That's what we're going to take a look at first, and then we'll jump into his divinity. So, can I get someone to look up Isaiah 53? Yeah. Wade, you got it. Uh, can you do verses 1 through 7? Yep. Was it Carl Ellis that said that at Jackson? No, it was uh, David Strain. Okay. Yeah. Who has believed uh, what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as for one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that fled to the slaughter, like a sheep that before cheers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. This is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. Um, it always, always gets me really hype about our Savior. Um, so one thing in the Christian life that we want Jesus to be is like cool and suave. Like we want, uh, we want to, we want it to be the case that being like Jesus means that we are accepted, right? Like in your schools, in your clubs, in your friend groups, whatever it is, like you want to be like Christ as long as being like Christ means you're in. Like that's the same way that I am. Like we have such a hard time with this concept. What does scripture say about Jesus in Isaiah 53? What is he going to be like? What are, what are going to be his characteristics? How is he going to be treated? Yeah, so he's not going to be like 
the cool, powerful guy that everyone wants to be hanging out with. He, he's going to be rejected by mankind. What else? What else does it say? Acquainted with like sorrow and grief. Hmm. Yeah. Man, I, I do pretty much everything I can to like run from sorrow. Just straight up. Um, I think probably a lot of guys do. And if you don't realize that you do that right now, you'll get older and you'll start thinking about your life and you're going to be like, man, I don't really know how to express or process emotion. And then you're going to be like, well, that's sad. Is it sad? What is sadness? I don't know. I don't know if I'm spelling this right. Acquainted? Is that right? It's close enough. Uh, any anything else that stuck out to you in Isaiah 53 here? What's up? It talks about how he was deep and um, chastised. Yep. Okay, so we have this in mind, right? I'm going to read now from Revelation 5 that talks about this lamb who was slain. And listen to this imagery. Listen to these words. I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals. That's what that song that we sang the other day was. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. One of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And uh, it says that he goes and he takes it and then all of a sudden everyone starts to worship him. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation what Cyril was talking about yesterday. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. And I heard a loud voice Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen and amen. They fell down and worshipped. Alright, so now, with this in mind, right, he's the suffering servant. He's the Lamb who was slain for us. At the end of all things in Revelation, what's going to be our response to this? How is He going to be thought of? How is He going to be held? Is He just going to be another dude who was like sort of respected by most people on earth? What does this say? He was the only worthy one. Yep. Worthy of praise. Glory, honor. What else? 
like actual countless times countless people yeah. worshiping on my mic. Innumerable receiving in, innumerable worship from people for all eternity. So that sounds a little better than <laughs> teacher. Whole Grace. earth worship forever. Yeah, sometimes we hear like these ideas about like the white man's gospel. Uh, this passage, every tribe, nation, tongue, people, language, they're all going to be represented. That, that puts to death that whole myth, right? So let's talk about this real quick. I want to go ahead and do some, a, a tiny bit of application for the fact that Jesus is the only one who is worthy of our worship, our honor, our glory. Uh, the things that we worship, whether we like do it via uh, singing in a group or not, like the things that we worship are the things that are going to govern our lives. So if you don't know like what it is that you worship, think about like how you spend your time. Think about how you spend your money. Think about the things that you like have a burning desire to talk about. Like, think about the things that you are super passionate about. That's the stuff that we actually are putting our worship in. That's the stuff that we're glorifying, that we're honoring, right? And when we do that, when we worship, uh, when we worship money, when we worship success, when we worship popularity, when we worship anything that is not Christ, then this is what we make Him, Right? We make him just an enlightened guru. We make him this removed, distant character who lived 2,000 years ago. We make him a liar. We make him just overrated, right? Um, this is an incredible passage in Revelation 5. Alright, Hebrews 1, 1-4. through 4. This is one that I read yesterday. Um, I'm not going to read the entire thing again, but remember what it said is that uh, he is the exact imprint of God the Father. And it says that uh, that that every like everyone is going to be held accountable to him. Everyone is going to know him, right? This I'm going to go ahead and read this C.S. Lewis quote. Uh, this passage means that we cannot have like this wishy-washy sort of uh, vague, half-hearted approach towards Jesus, right? C.S. Lewis, I'm sure you've heard this, again, if you've grown up in the church. It's one of my favorite quotes. He said, A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God or else he was a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So a lot of people hear what we believe about Christ, and they say, okay, well, Jesus didn't actually think that about himself. Those were labels that other people put on him. Like, that, that has nothing to do with who Jesus really was. Uh, let's do this. Let's go to John. Man, if you ever want to explore what Jesus said about himself, go to the Upper Room Discourse and, uh, and kind of right there towards the middle slash end of John. And it is, it is absolutely absurd. 
uh, some of the things he says. Like, I read some of this, and I have the response, which is the title of my class. Like, did he really just say that? Like, did he really just say that he was equal with the Father? Which would have been, like, one of the most offensive things that you could have said in that culture at that time. John 14, uh, starting in verse 1, like, just right, I could read verse 1 and drop the mic and walk out. Here's what it says. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Let's just pause there for a second. Um, he is putting himself on the exact same plane as God, Yahweh, Jehovah, the covenant God of these people. Like the entire center of their entire life. So you guys are at UT, or uh, a lot of y'all are in Knoxville. Where are y'all from? Birmingham, Alabama. Birmingham. You guys Auburn or Alabama fans? Alabama. Alabama. Where are you from? Florence. Auburn or Alabama fan? Uh, neither. Neither. Uh, Good. Good girl. Uh, and you're from Maryland? Yep. I don't know anything about Maryland, unfortunately. So, anyways, like, so imagine this. Uh, everyone knows who Tua Tagovailoa is, right? Yeah. So imagine that, like, you... In your current state, like, you walk up to Nick Saban, right? And they're down. This is so sad for me to talk about because I'm a huge bulldog, obviously. But, but they're down to Georgia at halftime in that stinking game, right? And, uh, and like, imagine you knew the end of the story, right? Like, Tua was going to win. But you, like, walk up and you're like, hey, my name's Joel May. Like, he's never seen me before. He has no idea who I am. He just sees this and he's like, I have no interest on you being on my sideline. And I say, look, coach, like, believe in Tua, but believe also in me. Like, that is the, the silliest possible illustration that I can give. But think about that. Like, how ridiculous would you look if you, like, compared yourself with the all-star, right? Like if you compared yourself, put yourself on the exact same plane as the person who was about to just like wreck Georgia, unfortunately. Uh, But like it's this concept where when you put yourself on the same plane as that other person, like you're either going to be considered a lunatic, a maniac, or like there's something real there, right? For me, there's nothing real there. I would be, don't put me in a football game. But what is Jesus doing here? Let's say it. What, what is he doing? How, how does he talk about himself? Just in that one verse. It's a Sunday school answer, but give it to me. Shoulder to shoulder to God. Yeah. Equal with God. And if you want more proof, there's more later on in this passage. Um, There's the whole song about like a big, big house with lots and lots of rooms. That's in this. Just fun fact. Um, He says, uh, Jesus said to him, Thomas, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. We're going to talk about that tomorrow. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. 
From now on you do know him and have seen him. And they say, show us the Father. And then Jesus again is like, dude, do you not get it? He says, "Uh, have I been with you so long and still you do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Like, what kind of a claim is that? Again, he is putting himself, he is saying, I, like, you don't get it. I am equal, equal with God. I am God incarnate. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. I am the exact imprint of his nature. That's one thing that Jesus says about himself. I'm going to flip to John. Can someone cue up uh, that Colossians passage real quick? Colossians 1, 15-20. Do I have a volunteer for that? Sure. Sweet. We got it right here. Um, I, I'm going to read this, just this real short statement that unless you're like paying attention, it's going to go right over your head. But Jesus is talking to all these Jews and they're infuriated with Him. And they're, they're having this back and forth about like, well, who's better? Like Abraham or Moses? Like where do you fall in this mix? Because you're saying that you're better than them or equal to them or something. And I, I'm not seeing it because you don't seem that great. And uh, Jesus says, <laughs> I love this. They're, they're talking about like how they know God. They're like, well, we know God. Like He's our God. We get it. We know Him. And Jesus just says, um, He goes, you have not known Him. I know Him. If I were to say that I do not know Him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know Him and I keep His word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. And then skip down a tiny bit. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Alright, put yourself in this context if you can. I'm going to give another really silly illustration. Um, Imagine that, like, imagine... We're, we're in a pretty divisive political climate right now in today's world, right? Imagine that someone like came onto the political sphere and they were like, hey, like, I know that George Washington was like the patron saint of all presidents and he was like the guy that everyone's supposed to be. But here's the thing, like, I am George Washington. And they're like, you know, before, like, before you guys even knew who George Washington was, that was me. Like, I'm the model of George Washington. I'm the fulfillment. Like, that's me, and I'm going to come in, and I just want you to know, like, that's who I am. I'm going to fix this whole thing. Again, like, we would think that he was a lunatic. And if he was like, hey, like, you guys think you know, like, the American political system, but, like, you guys don't understand it at all. I get it. If I said I didn't get it, I'd be like you, and I'd be lying saying that I got it. Like, This would baffle us. This would be absolutely mind-blowing. This would cause us, if we're like them in this passage, this would cause us to be like, right, like we're done. Let's get some stones. Let's chuck it to this guy because we've had enough of his his insanity, right? Let's get some stones because that's obviously the the most rational answer there, right? Uh, When you're mad at someone, just pick up some stones and start chasing them out of the room. You can quote me on that. No, don't do that. Um, But yeah, like, again, what is he doing here? He's making himself equal with God. He's saying, this is me. I'm the fulfillment, right? I've been revealed, like Hebrews says. All I'm trying to do right now is get you guys to understand that this whole concept, this is not 
that like this has no place in Christianity, right? Um, this is this is where we're at. Who had a Colossians passage? All right, this is another passage that again just kind of blows my mind. Um, this one of my favorite like tools. I've said that about almost every passage so far, but this is an incredibly useful sort of tool to have in your tool belt. Incredibly useful for a foundation of the Christian faith. Can you read this out for me? He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn, from the dead, and in everything he might be preeminent. For in, all, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Yeah. Alright, again, let's just spit out some of the characteristics, some of the things that that passage said. Um, I'm going to start us off. Like yesterday, we talked about how Scripture gives us wisdom and knowledge and understanding sort of in all the different spheres. Jesus holds together the entire world. It says, through Him, all things hold together. So He brings unity to the entire cosmos. Like, if there was no Jesus... If there was no God-man, if there was no divine Christ, everything would explode. Like It would just disappear. It would go away. He's before all things. He's the creator and the redeemer of all things. In Him all things hold together. Unity. What else does it say about Him in that passage? In Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Yeah. It's a big deal. Like, I can't say that about anything. The fullness of nothing dwells in me in any way except for, like, maybe sin. Like, the fullness of sin, all all up in me. But anything else, like, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. It's a huge deal. Fullness of God. Another passage puts it uh, that the fullness of God dwelt bodily in him. It's just another like nuanced way of saying it. What else? What else does this say? Anything that sticks out to you? That all things were created through him. Yep. That's big. In Him all things hold together. So He's the Creator. He's also the Redeemer. I think He pointed out the phrase before all things. It's a very God phrase. Yeah. It exists before creation. Yeah. Genesis 1.1, like, in the beginning, God. Mm-hmm. Right? In the beginning, Jesus. He's not just some enlightened guru. He's not just some dude who, like, had some cool ideas. Who, like, went around and tried to help people tried to like teach them like nice concepts of how to live their life. Um, all right, so let's move into real quick the uh, the the hope of the resurrection. Because again, this concept like you're going to be challenged. People, there's throughout the centuries, people have like doubted the resurrection, tried to come up with explanations for the resurrection to avoid the claim, to avoid the truth that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is divine, that Jesus is the God Man. 
And here's what Paul says about it in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, if Christ, I'm going to start in verse 14. If Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise if, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who, who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Alright, let's close with this and uh, this is going to point us towards tomorrow. What does this truth that Jesus is the God-man who was the lamb who was slain, acquainted with grief, beaten, suffered, rejected by man, and then raised and is now worthy of praise, right? What does this have to do with us today? What does it talk about right there at the end? If in this life only we have hope in this world, what, what, what is he saying? This is a really sad conference to attend because we're wasting a lot of time. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's like a very practical right today, like right this second. If Jesus is not who Scripture says He is, is not who the Christian faith says He is, then what we're doing right this second is like terribly depressing. Is a complete waste of time. Like, what I am devoting my life and my education and my money and my time to is like the saddest thing that I could possibly do. Because it would be for a lie. It would just be for a joke. It would be to try and make myself feel good. It would be whatever, right? That's the significance of all this stuff right here. Like That's the significance of who Jesus is. That's why these passages are such a big deal. That's why like, when we are faced with these questions, both internally and externally, when we are faced with these doubts, when we are faced with these fears, all of this stuff, we need a solid foundation. We need to have hope that goes beyond just this world. We need to have answers. We need to have tools. We need to have things that we can go to and cling to in the midst of our insecurities, in the midst of our fears, in the midst of our questions, all this stuff. Um, let me close in prayer. And then if you guys have any questions or anything, uh, holler at me. I'd love, to, I'd love to talk through any more of this if, if y'all care to. I don't, I don't know kind of what's going on in y'all's, y'all's brains right now. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank You uh, for this truth that You sent Your Son to be the Savior of the world. To not just be a good example that we can try and be like, but to actually be the sacrifice and the atonement for sin. Lord, that not only uh, has Your Son come to be humiliated and rejected and despised and beaten and scorned, but He has come to be raised to newness of life, to prove His divinity, to prove that we have hope that extends beyond just our present time, that we have hope that goes into eternity, Lord. 
We thank you that we get the gift of talking about that tomorrow, our salvation, our hope, our future, which is secure in your Son. Pray that we would uh, continue to have the mindset of Christ today, that we would continue to uh, do the best that we can to pay attention to what your Word says and to live that out in our relationships. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen.